Welcome to week number five of our eight-week series entitled Soul Shepherd. We've been digging deep into what's called the Shepherd's Psalm in order to make sure that we know the shepherd that David knew. Week by week, I've been asking all participants to consider two probing questions. Do you know the soul shepherd and does he know you? In the end, when the final president has been elected, when the final war has been fought, when all the racial clashes have ended, the final pandemic has spread its way around the world, when all the questions have been asked about love and hate, science and progress, the most important question that has ever been asked will prove to be, do you know Jesus? In the end, according to him, that's the most important question that's ever been asked in human history. And so I ask you again as we get started this morning, are you sure that you know him? And are you sure that he knows you? There's nothing more important to consider than that. And so we've been looking to David because David gives a personal testimony of the Lord as his shepherd. So far, we've seen four different aspects or faces or expressions of the shepherd that David knew. And we've been asking different questions about that shepherd to make sure that we know him the way that David knew him. Here's what we've covered so far. In week number one, we looked at the soul-satisfying shepherd. And here's the question we asked. Do you know Jesus as the ultimate object of your desire? If you had Jesus and nothing else, would you be satisfied? David was. Week number two, we looked at the soul-soothing shepherd. And here's the question we asked. Is Jesus the one who calms the storms whenever they come up in your heart and in your mind? Does he soothe your soul? That's what he did for David. Week number three. We looked at the soul restoring shepherd. And here's the question that we asked. Has Jesus made your soul new? Is he restoring your heart and your mind into what God designed you to be, someone who thinks and feels and acts just like his own son. Do you know the soul-restoring shepherd? That was week three. And then last week, week number four, we came face-to-face with the soul-steering shepherd. And here's the question that David prompted us to ask. Do you follow Jesus? Do you follow him? Are you allowing him To steer your life. If you are, you're being transformed by him and you're bringing others to him. That's what it means to follow him. Before we begin the second half of David's psalm, let's go to the Lord together and ask him to light our path. Because unless he does, we won't see anything of value at all. He must light our path. Let's pray to him. Father. I come to you in a declaration of my total and utter dependence upon the Spirit of God. 
unless the Spirit of God speaks through my mouth, I have nothing to offer, nothing of any significance. I have no wisdom. For apart from the Lord, no man has any wisdom at all. All we have is a fallen state of mind and a fallen heart out of which come all sorts of sinful things. And so I pray that the Spirit of God would have His way in this service this morning. For the sake of your people, many of whom have been alone for so long and are frightened, have your way with them, O God. Speak to them. I ask on their behalf, in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now that much we've covered already. What follows will be our portion for today. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. For you are with me. We've passed a very significant threshold in the thinking of David, the writer of this psalm. And do you know how we know that? Because his writing changes. He leads us from the green pastures and the cool, still, calm waters. From the shepherd's providence and care for him. And the sustenance that he gets from knowing his shepherd. He leads us from there into shadowy places. It would seem that David's psalm follows the path of the Christian life. If you've been a Christian for a while, you know that typically what follows mountaintop experiences, high experiences where you felt the presence of the Lord and His great love for you, typically what follows that is a valley experience. Sometimes short, sometimes long. And why should we think we would be any different from the way that the Lord experienced life when he was here for 33 years? Remember at his first public glorification when he was baptized? Imagine being there for just a moment. The voice of God the Father is heard coming from the sky, from the clouds. A testimony that the man standing in the water is the Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah. Not only that, But the Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove and rests on him. Could you imagine seeing such a display of the glory of God right in front of you? There were crowds there. That was a mountaintop experience, wouldn't you say? Look at your Bibles. You know what immediately follows? It says, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Mountaintop, shadowy places. It would seem that David follows suit. He's helping us to understand the path that the shepherd leads all of his sheep down. And so this morning we're going to follow David into the shadowlands, as it were. Through the valley of the shadow of death. As I was studying this week, I came across one writer whose understanding of this psalm seemed to be greater than most. It's John Calvin. 
John Calvin calls where David is leading us this morning. The king of terrors. That's what death is. The valley of the shadow of death is the king of all terrors. He went on to write this. Jesus is our perfect pastor in the presence of the king of terrors. In my estimation, no better summary has ever been written about the meaning of this verse. The human soul is on the move. We said that last week. The human soul is moving like everything else that's alive. And it will move from mountaintops down into dark valleys. And then back to mountaintops again. And such, such is life. David said that his shepherd gave him the assurance to keep moving forward in spite of the fear. That's what we need. He gave him the assurance to keep moving forward in his faith. Assurance is a word that means a firmness of mind that comes from being fully persuaded. Persuaded. If you were to sit and think this through as long as I did this week about the subject of assurance, I would imagine that three thoughts would come to your mind. Number one, where does someone gain the assurance to follow someone through what Calvin called the king of terrors, the valley of the shadow of death? Number two, on what grounds does someone ever become persuaded enough to move confidently through death there's only one thing that could persuade someone and give someone that degree of assurance to move through the valley of the shadow of death you have to be following someone who has been there and made it through themselves that's first second an added level of persuasion and assurance, if that person was to agree to go with you and be right there with you as you walked through the valley of the shadow of death, in my opinion, that is the only thing that could persuade me to have the degree of assurance that David had to walk with somebody through the valley of the shadow of death. Would you ever follow somebody through death Death's door without those two things. Someone who says, I've been there and I walked through it and came out the other side alive. And number two, I will walk through it with you. Do you think you're confident about what's going to happen at your death and you don't have those two things? I'm telling you, you don't know the soul shepherd and you need to know him. This is critical. And so this morning we come face to face with the fifth facet of the soul shepherd that David aims for all of his readers to see face to face. God, who inspired David, aims for you to see the soul assuring shepherd this morning. Do you know him? Do you know him? And does he know you? From David's own testimony, you're going to see that there are two strategies by which Jesus... That's the soul shepherd reassures his sheep and leads them through the darkest valleys and the deepest pits all the way through to death's door and then through death's door to the place that he says he's preparing for you right now. 
we're going to follow two strategies that come out of verse 4 of the 23rd Psalm. Here they are. I've put those strategies on your screen for you. Strategy number one. The soul shepherd assures his sheep by his promise. That's the first strategy. Second, his presence. The soul shepherd assures his sheep by his presence. If you belong to the soul shepherd, if you know him, he's not just going to lead you to mountaintops your whole life. Some preachers preach that way. It's just not true. If you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, then you will know, yes, there are dark valleys. And I need to follow him there as well, especially there. Well, he gives us strategies. He doesn't leave us to figure it out on our own. Strategy number one that the soul shepherd longs for you to know and employ in your life is this. The soul shepherd assures his sheep by his promise. You need to know what he promises you if you're going to make it through those dark valleys. Look back. The 23rd Psalm, verse 4, part A, the very first segment of it. We're cutting this down into the very minute details. David says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now, I need to take you into the seminary classroom for just a little while. I won't spend too much time on Hebrew here, but you need to know something because it changes how you understand what David says here. Although the most popular form or translation of what David's saying here includes the phrase death, many translations do not. You may have a translation where the word death isn't even in there, and you should at least scratch your head and ask why. Well, give me about two, three minutes to explain why. The NIV, the NLT, and even the CSV, which is a very good translation, translate that phrase, the valley of the shadow of death, like this. The darkest valley, or even though I walk through the darkest valley. And here's why they translate it that way, without the word death. It's because the Hebrew word for shadow of death is salmoet, salmoet, which means dark shadows. That's what it means. A direct translation is dark shadows. But that final part there, moet, is the word for death. And so it's understandable as to why so many translators have taken the liberty of saying this is what David means is the shadow of death or the dark shadowy death. Death places, it could be translated. This same phrase appears in the story of Job, where Job is describing his own feelings that he's at death's door. And listen to the way that he describes it. Job says, are my days not few? Do you see what he's saying? He feels like he's about to die. Withdraw from me that I may have a little comfort before I go. Never to return. To a land of darkness and gloom. To a land of utter darkness. That's Salmoet. Same as in Psalm 23. Of deep shadow and disorder where even the light is like darkness. What David says in Psalm 138, I think is a clearer way of saying the exact same thing he's saying in Psalm 23 verse 4. Here's what he says in Psalm 138. He says in verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life or soul. For you kids who may have seen the movie The Lion King, there's a direct parallel 
that really helps to illustrate what David and Job are both describing here. In the movie, Mufasa, the father lion, takes his young cub Simba up to a mountaintop. And they're looking down over the whole kingdom. Mufasa says, wherever the light touches, wherever the light touches is our kingdom. And Simba says, what about that dark valley over there? Mufasa says, those are the shadow lands. Which Simba later comes to learn is an elephant graveyard where things go to die. Well, that's a good description of what David and Job are describing here. The shepherd leads his sheep through the shadow lands where the presence of death is felt. The reason why I spend so much time to go through that is because there are those who would interpret what David is saying and describe to you and teach you even that the shepherd is only there to comfort you at the hour of your death. Nothing could be further from the truth. The shepherd is there to lead you through all of life's dark valleys. Leading up to the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death. Fear plays a role in our entire lives. It's always present. I'd like to ask you wherever you are to consider something absolutely critical for a moment. I'd like to ask ask you to consider the role that fear plays in the life of a believer. What's become very apparent to me is that fear can be used for both good and evil. Martin Luther, the great reformer, observed something really interesting about the way the Bible describes the usage of fear. Luther said this, God and the devil take opposite tactics in regard to fear. The Lord first allows us to become afraid that he might relieve our fears and comfort us. The devil, on the other hand, first makes us feel secure of false assurance in our pride and sins so that later we might be overwhelmed with fear and despair. Do you see what Luther realized? Luther realized that the shepherd of his soul and your soul uses all of the fearful experiences that you experience in a lifetime to deepen your dependence upon him as you progress toward heaven. Whereas the enemy of your soul aims to use those exact same experiences to cripple your progress with the hopes that you never make it to heaven, that you walk away from the shepherd. And you know they both use the exact same tactic? Promises. Promises. Both the shepherd of your soul and the enemy of your soul are constantly making you promises with the hope to gain your assurance. Which promises do you believe will give you genuine assurance for your soul? Satan aims to cripple the soul. His promises cripple the soul because the promises he makes invite you to put your trust in false assurances. So here's what it's like. When I have a fearful situation, promises are coming to me that invite me to make a decision of which promises 
will lead me somewhere good. And I have to decide which promises will offer me the assurance to follow the person making me those promises. That's how assurance is gained. The most common strategy for hiding our most deeply rooted fear is to cover it up with superficial securities or false assurances. Did you, do you hear what I'm saying? Everyone. The most common practice for hiding our deepest fears are to cover them up with superficial securities. It's not the little girl hiding her face who has the most deeply rooted fear. No. It's the grown woman taking constant selfies, working tirelessly to assure herself that she's beautiful. You won't find the deepest fear in the embarrassed man whose hands are open wide begging for some spare change. No. It's the man who won't spare his change because his money assures him that he is safe. You won't find the deepest fear in the broken convict sitting on death row for crimes that he knows he committed. No. It's within the judge who works tirelessly to do everything right with the hope of assuring himself that God will certainly overlook his crimes because they're not as bad as the inmate he put away. Those who clothe themselves with superficial securities aim to do so because they're trying to gain the assurance that everything is okay. That their soul is okay. That death is not coming for them. And it is. It's within those souls that the deepest of all fear is hiding. Fear offers us an invitation to choose a path. And we will choose the path that has persuaded us most that it offers the most genuine security and assurance for our soul. Which path have you chosen? Second only to love, fear is the most powerful force in the universe. It has the power to keep a person in the prison cell of their sins all the days of their life. I read an article this week written by three psychology professors. It was not a Christian article. It was from a secular university. And all three of these psychology professors set out to prove through a scholarly study that all phobias have at the root the fear of death, the fear of human mortality, all phobias. They said that the fear of death causes us to employ coping mechanisms. The Bible calls those sins, by the way. The fear of death causes us to employ coping mechanisms to reassure ourselves, to reassure ourselves. They should have just read the Bible. <laughs> the Bible has been declaring that from the beginning, that it is not death itself, but the fear of death that causes people to employ sinful habits. They call them coping mechanisms. They are sinful habits that people use to reassure themselves and maybe even to hide the fact that death is coming. 
The author of Hebrews said it like this. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that's Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now, that can be confusing language, so let me help to simplify what the author of Hebrews is saying just a little bit. Every single man, woman, and child since Adam was born with an innate knowledge that death is coming. That's the result of sin. The wages of sin is death. And because we know that death is coming, the fear of death is present in all of us. If you don't think you have it, you're deceiving yourself. It's present in all of us. And it causes us to employ what those psychology professors call coping mechanisms. But what the Bible calls sinful habits. We employ those sinful habit coping mechanisms... (laughs) To help alleviate the fears of death that are present in all of us. Doesn't matter what you're afraid of, according to this study and according to the Bible, at the root of it all is the fear of death. And so we choose to believe the same promises that were made to Eve in the garden. Just come. Come and eat from the tree. What God says is going to happen to you isn't really going to happen. He doesn't want what's best for you. I can offer you the good life now that he says is waiting for you an eternal life. I can give it to you now. Just follow my promises. I know what's best for your soul. You can figure this out for yourself. We don't need God. It's all about promises. Which promises are you going to believe are best for your soul? It's the strategic promise that only the soul shepherd can make that keeps his sheep moving forward. Even in the face of the king of terrors, even through the valley of the shadow of death, only the soul shepherd can make promises that can keep us moving forward. Like David, Christians are trusting that we will walk through death and that death cannot hold us. Please don't overlook what the psalmist says about death. He says, look on your screen, that he is walking through the valley of the shadow of death. David does not stay there. So too, every true sheep who belongs to Jesus will walk through death just as our shepherd did. It cannot hold you because it could not hold him. The Bible offers thousands upon thousands of promises from the shepherd that are intended for his sheep to build our assurance. I want to offer you five promises right now about death that are intended to carry you through that valley that Calvin called the king of terrors. Five promises about death. Number one, your physical body will rise from the dead like his did. Romans 6, 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. His body rose, our bodies will rise. And look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. In a moment... 
in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, talking about our bodies, and we shall be changed. Or some translations say translated. Your mortal bodies will put on immortality. Your corruptible bodies will put on incorruptible, new, perfect, heavenly bodies. Doesn't that sound amazing? Promise number two that the soul shepherd makes to every true sheep. Your soul cannot die. Look at John 11. The words of Jesus. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, he says. Do you believe it? If you do, it's intended to produce assurance. To lead you through every fearful thing in your life. Promise number three. You've passed the judgment. Two verses. Hebrews 9.27 and then John 5.24. Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. So everybody's going to be judged. All of our sins are going to be judged. But look what Jesus said. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. If you're in Christ, there is no more judgment for your sins because your judgment has already happened and all of your judgment was poured out on him. Do you know him? Promise number four. You are his property. Romans 14. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Talk about easing your fears. Talk about gaining assurance. Paul says, look, if I live, great. If I die, great. doesn't matter. I'm the Lord's. I'm his property. You can't take anything from me. Because I don't belong to this world. I belong to him. The fifth and final promise that the shepherd makes of many to give you the assurance that your soul needs when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death is this. You will not die until he wills it. Psalm 139.16 All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. It's interesting that John Wesley, of all people, said this. I am immortal until my work is done. Now let that sink in because that is a massive statement. What he says is true. Until God sovereignly declares that the time of your death has come, you cannot die. No human being has ever stepped into the presence of God to hear him say, what are you doing here? You weren't on the calendar for today. You cannot die until he wills it. These are contractual promises made by the shepherd only to his sheep. To assure us that no matter what comes our way. He will carry us through. Through death's gate and into paradise. But the assurance that comes from promises is insufficient. Now that too is a pretty massive statement. The assurance that comes from promises alone 
is insufficient. And I say that with confidence because Jesus doubled down. He doesn't just leave his promises with us. No, it is his presence in us that seals our assurance like no other assurance, no other false assurance in the world. Strategy number two. The soul shepherd assures his sheep by his presence. Look back at the second part of what David says in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Now I want to be as blunt with you as I possibly can. Sometimes just knowing that the Lord is with you in spirit, especially when you're at death's door, can feel insufficient. That's why when you go and you say to somebody, don't be afraid, God is with you. Jesus is there with you. Sometimes it can feel a little cliche to say that. It isn't, but it feels that way. And let me tell you why I think that is. I think it's because modern Western Christians have come to believe a Western ideology that says being alone is something that you should try to avoid at all costs. You're supposed to fill your heart and mind with incessant entertainment, video games and news and TV and Facebook and Internet. Because being alone is terrible. When you're alone, you come face to face with fears and deep thoughts and no one likes to think about those things. So whatever you do, avoid solitude. We don't know how to be alone anymore. Solitude is a spiritual discipline. Not only did Jesus employ it, he taught it. Solitude has been given by God to his people to train our spiritual eyes and ears to see what others cannot. If you won't employ the spiritual discipline of solitude, then you will not be a very spiritual person. You will not be able to see past the surface level of things. And you will wonder when you go through dark valleys, where's the Lord? Why can't I see Him? Why can't I hear Him? We've been forced into a time of solitude for these past few months and I have to ask, what have you done with the time? Have you filled it with screens? Have you filled it with incessant entertainment? Or have you seized this opportunity to train your eyes to see what others cannot? Jesus practiced solitude. And he taught it. Let me show you. Luke 5. Jesus, he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Matthew 14. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up onto the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. This is a practice that he made. Mark 1. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. Not only did he incorporate this discipline into his own life, but he taught it. He said it's a discipline that his disciples would employ too. Take a look. Mark 6. And because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. 
So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. You will never fully rest in the assurance of his presence until you've trained your eyes to see what your eyes cannot see. He's there with you right now, wherever you are. I can't see you, but he can. He's there. But you will never experience his presence with you until you begin to make a discipline out of solitude like he did and like his disciples did. The discipline of solitude is there to train you how to walk through valleys of fear. People don't like going into the fearful valley because they're going to meet up with the truth about their desires there. They don't like to be alone with God, many people, because it's too quiet. And there you come face to face with reality. The Spirit wants to lead you there. Remember, it was the Spirit who led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Practicing solitude is the key to seeing the shepherd in the midst of the darkest of darkness. I read a story this week about a man named Dr. Alan Emery. Dr. Emery was president of the Billy Graham Association back in the mid-90s. He also did a, a great deal of work on the board of many of our Christian schools and universities, including Gordon College, Wheaton College, and Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. But Before he did all that, he was in the wool business. Wool, like sheep. And he had an opportunity one time to go and stay outdoors with a shepherd in Texas uh, on a prairie where much of his wool came from. And Dr. Emery describes this experience as something that was very significant to his life of faith. He says that while he was out there, he began to hear the coyotes howl in the night. And as they howled, the sheep rose to their feet in fear and he heard the sheep start to Bleat, B-L-E-A-T, bleating, in case you don't know, is the sound of a sheep when it's crying. It's a distinct sound from any other bah or any other sound that they make. It's bleating, and the shepherds recognize it. So Dr. Emery was awakened as the sheep were bleating because of the fearful thing that was waiting for them or threatening them out in the darkness. And he noticed the most peculiar thing. The shepherd got up, and he threw a couple of extra logs on the fire. And the fire, the flames of the fire shot up. And only a few moments passed by before Dr. Emery looked into the darkness and he saw hundreds of little glowing lights. And he realized that those glowing lights were reflection from the sheep's eyes. He saw the fire in their eyes. Because the sheep were staring back at the shepherd. The sheep had been trained that when they were afraid to turn and face the object of their assurance rather than to face their fears or to fix their gaze on their fears. Dr. Emery said he was reminded of Hebrews 11, which says, fix your eyes or fix your gaze upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And that, my dear friends, 
is David's point. Can you see the shepherd? Can you see him? Can you see him clearly enough in your life to declare along with David, he is with me. I fear no evil, for you are with me. I know you are with me. Can you declare that with him? The reason that David was able to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, fearing no evil, was because he knew. He saw the shepherd clearly enough. He trained his eyes to stay fixed on the shepherd. Listen, when fearful times come, if your gaze shifts onto whatever fearful thing is howling in the darkness, well then in that moment, you are allowing that howling threat whether it's a pandemic or money hardships or looting or rioting or whatever it may be, you're allowing that howling threat to gain all of the attention that belongs to your shepherd. He and he alone is able to offer your soul the assurance that it needs to walk through the rest of your life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still, calm waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Oh, dear shepherd of our souls, thank you for these amazing promises. Thank you that you have not left us, but that you are with us. Train us. Train us to not only see you, but to hear your voice and to respond to you and only you. Help us not to put on false securities, false assurances like the world does but to put on the Lord Jesus Christ so that we might walk confidently throughout the remainder of our lives, whatever peaks or valleys may be ahead of us. Ultimately, Lord, I pray that you would come and come quickly. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's all stand and sing to him now.